0: Hey and welcome to Vineyard Cardiff's podcast, it's great to have you with us. Today we have got Adam Russell, our dear friend, uh, who leads Vineyard Church over in Kentucky, USA and also oversees Vineyard Worship speaking to us. This is the message that he gave to our church back in November when he was with us for our all-in gathering and so it was a great message then, it's a great message now, we know that you'll be blessed as you listen to it. Enjoy! Well, good afternoon, everybody. Who else wants to get baptized? Like we don't need my sermon. This is, I'm like trying to recover here a little bit. My sermon stinks. I'm sitting here looking at it. I feel like this is getting worse by the second. Amir, come back up here, Amir. We want you to preach another sermon. We'll just, everyone will get baptized. I just know, it. I'm just kidding. You just did so good. I felt the Lord in that story. Didn't you all feel the Lord in that story? Oh, man. Yeah, amazing. I love that. Well, hey, my name is Adam. If you haven't figured it out, I'm from the United States. I'm from a little place called Kentucky. It's very rural. It looks a lot like this, like right outside the city, all of those rolling hills and fences and animals. That's where I came from. It's just like 4,000 miles to the west. Very, very similar. Uh, But I'm a part of the vineyard. I'm a vineyard pastor there in a little place called Campbellsville, Kentucky. And I have a wife and four children. My oldest is 20. My second is 19. My third is 15. And I've got a little eight-year-old that we didn't know was coming, but he showed up one day, you know, <laughs> which is a warning to everyone in here. It's like things can happen. Mostly starts with your wife. It's you just you never know. Anyway, um, I also uh, am the, the director of Vineyard Worship for the USA. And so I spend about probably half of my time working with artists and musicians and producers and, and, and making songs and that kind of thing and just encouraging the worship culture for the U.S. Um, because of that, though, I'm really close friends with uh, Jimmy and Harmony from Vineyard Worship here in the U.K., and so they're just like dear friends. Those might be names that mean something to you or not, but I just want to say there's, like a, there's a heart connection between me and the things that God does here in U.K. and Ireland, so Really good to be back. It's been four years since I've been here, and you guys look great. (laughs) You look great. Uh, uh, One one final note. Uh, Since I've been here this week, uh, over and over people keep saying to me, hey, Adam, uh, are all the stories that we've read and seen on the news about America true? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like times 10, you know, so it's been crazy and it's really cool to see us pulling out of whatever this last season was and hopefully shutting the book on that and uh, starting something new. Amen. 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 Hey, here's what I want to do this afternoon. I almost said morning. Here's what I want to do this afternoon. I want to talk to you out of John chapter 12 and the title of today's message is something precious, something precious. I want to read to you 11 verses. I think the tech team is going to put it up. I just got the thumbs up. You put it up and I'll read it. It goes like this. Really famous passage out of the Gospel of John. This is Jesus and some of his very best friends, okay? It says this, six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany. It's like where Jesus wanted to hang out most. If he was going to rest, he almost always went to Bethany. The home of Lazarus, it's like one of his best friends who wasn't in the 12. The man he had just raised from the dead, that'd be like chapter 11 stuff. Next slide. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. You might want to underline that. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot the disciple who would soon betray him said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. And Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you. But you will not always have me. And when all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him, and they also wanted to go see Lazarus, the man that he has raised from the dead. And, and then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too. For it was because of him that many of the people had deserted him and started to believe in Jesus. Amazing story, amazing text. Uh, I want you to know this is a famous text and I love this text and it's famous for a good reason, several reasons. It's famous uh, partly because it's dramatic. You have this scene, they're like at dinner and a woman comes in, pours some perfume on Jesus' feet. The perfume is worth, I don't know, it's worth a year's wages. It could be worth $50,000, it could be worth 100000 I guess it depends on your job, right? <laughs> Let's say $75,000 pounds. Let's say 75 I'm, I'm just contextualizing on the goat, people, <laughs> killing it. It's famous because it's dramatic. You know, you have this, this thing, 75,000 pounds poured out in just a moment, right on the Lord's feet. It wasn't even, wasn't even like sampled out, not even a little spoonful at a time. We just take the whole thing, we pour it all out. And so it's dramatic, and for that reason, it's kind of famous. It's also famous because culturally, this is like not what you do in the first century Jewish culture. The girls don't come into the boys' room. You know what I mean? Like the girls stay in the kitchen, the boys stay around in the boys' room, they eat the food, they have boy talk, and the, boy, and the boys stay in the boys' places and the girls stay in the girls' places. And the thing that definitely doesn't happen is unmarried women don't come and touch unmarried men, right? Like it's like, we are not going to do this. And what do we have? We have 75,000 pounds of perfume poured out in one instant. And we have unmarried women touching unmarried men in public. And everyone's like, what is happening right now? Not only that, but but you get this sense in which everyone's very uncomfortable and they're sort of waiting to see what Jesus is going to do, you know. So it's famous. It's also famous because if we zoom out a little bit, part of what we see in this text is that Mary is pouring all that oil out on Jesus and because of its great price, she's offering him something precious. And that's what I want to talk to you about. But here's the backdrop of this story. The backdrop is, and you probably noticed it there in our reading, that this is a dinner given in Jesus' honor. And the reason that there's a dinner given in Jesus's honor is because of this. In the previous chapter, Lazarus was... Dead. You guys remember that part? Like Lazarus is dead. They, in fact, they sent Jesus to get him. They said, Hey, Jesus, your friend, Lazarus is sick. Jesus is like, I'll show up. And he, in fact, starts to slow down. And Jesus takes three days to get there. And because of that, Lazarus dies, you know? Like one of the things you notice over and over in the Gospels is Jesus doesn't run anywhere, <laughs> he, he never, he, he's always on time, but he's never in a hurry, right? Like some of you right now, you're praying. You're like, Jesus, I need you to do X, Y, Z, and I need it now. He, he will get to it, but he will not run. Not even for Lazarus. Yeah. Yeah. But Jesus does eventually show up, and in chapter 11 of John, Jesus raises him back to life. And so his sisters are like, we should at least make him dinner. <laughs> Which I think is, it's appropriate, right? Like if someone raises your dead brother, the least you could do is like a Sunday roast. And everyone came over. So that's sort of the, the backdrop. John chapter 12, verse 1 says that Jesus arrived at the home of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. It's like his friends. It's part of what John is telling you. There's, like, there's friendship here. There's, there's drama here. And one of the things I want you to see, even in verse 1, if you have your Bible out and you would just underline the word home, um, This is a big deal, particularly in the Gospels, like oftentimes the word house or the word home. It's just another it's another stand in word for your whole life. Like Jesus is coming over to their home. He's coming to their life. He's been invited. And one of the things you also see in the Gospels, and I particularly love this as well, is anytime anyone invites Jesus anywhere, he always says yes. You can read all four Gospels. People often invite Jesus. Hey, Jesus, my daughter is sick. Can you come help? Hey, Jesus, I need to talk to you. Can you come over here? Hey, Jesus, uh, son of David, don't pass me by, right? Y'all remember all the Anytime Jesus is invited anywhere, he shows up. And what we see here is that he's been invited and he does come. And he doesn't just come at a distance, but he comes into the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Which is to say that he's coming into their life. And here's what I would like to say to the church this afternoon. I think there's a vision in this text for us. There's a vision that we're being invited into, that we could arrange our lives in such a way that they'd be hospitable for Jesus, that, that our lives could be homes for Jesus, that we could, that we could invite him into the, various, the, very, the very most intimate parts of our, of our hearts, that our lives could be resting places for his presence. Jesus loved to go to the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He loved to go to Bethany, that our lives could be arranged to honor Jesus. I love that in the beginning of this text, it says that a dinner was given in Jesus's honor at their home. There's a sense in which the text is inviting us to be those sort of people who invite Jesus into the intimate spaces of our lives. And we're being invited to be the sort of people who would be hospitable to Jesus, that we could be resting places for the Lord, that he could find something in us that would be a place he would want to come and take up residence. Here's what our current culture says. Current Western culture says this, live for the moment, live for more or, or give in to acquisition. Like the purpose of your life is just to buy something and then buy another thing, become a professional Amazoner. But I can't get away from this idea. I can't get away from the idea that we could live for his honor. I can't get away from the idea that we could be a resting place for the very presence of Jesus. That we could be a home for Jesus. That our life could be a place we invite him in. And if we invite him in, he will come. I hope you noticed in all the stories that were told this afternoon by this lovely family and And the young man and the young lady, I hope you notice that every single person had some sort of an encounter with Jesus and there was an invitation they were responding to. And there's almost this sense that there's an invitation that Jesus is responding to. Did you notice that almost every person in today's testimony moment said, I was in a period of struggle and God met me. Isn't that amazing? Like your life could be a place that Jesus would show up. We could we could live for his honor and he would he would come to our invitation i want to talk to you just for a second about this kind of hospitality of heart first i want to talk to you about hospitality what is hospitality it's basically this it's arranging everything for someone else isn't it thinking about guests first a couple of years ago my wife and i we went to spain we were supposed to go do a little ministry thing. I did a little ministry over there, and they put me with this family. And How many of you have ever met Spanish people? They're warm people, aren't they? Like, you don't even know them, and they kiss you. I was like, whoa! <laughs> it's like, everyone's hugging you and kissing you, and we were staying with this wonderful Spanish family, and, and they cooked us these amazing meals, and then on the third night we are there, uh, we had been drinking a little amazing Spanish wine, and. And the lady of the house like ran down the hallway and she came back because she knew I was sort of a wine person and she pulls out this bottle and she's like, I've been saving this for two years. Pops it for us and it's like the finest bottle of Ribera. And I was like, what is happening right now? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? She goes, it's my pleasure to share this with you. Wine was meant to be shared. No one drinks wine alone. And I was like, this is a word from God. (laughs) Not only that, but they they ended up sharing their car with us and and they sent us to Rioja. And it was like, who are these people? Who are these people? They are manifestations of hospitality. It's like arranging everything for someone else. It was such a gift, such a gift. That's who we're called to be for Jesus as well. You know, this is what he has been for us. But there's a sense in which this is what we're called to be for Jesus, to rearrange everything for someone else. That's what discipleship is, isn't it? It's beginning to rearrange my life for the life of God. And in this text, it moves from general to particular. General to particular. This moves looks something like this. The general part is that the dinner is given for Jesus. He's invited and their home is his resting place. That's the general part. But it doesn't stop there. Mary doesn't just host the dinner. She doesn't just clean up the house. Mary doesn't just cook something nice. It goes to particular. And the particular part is she brings out expensive perfume. She brings out really expensive perfume in a day that didn't have deodorant or daily showers. I like to think about that sometimes. The vision is this, to open our lives to Jesus, to be hospitable to Jesus, to make our lives a place for his presence. That's the general call for us. But the particular call is to eventually move in to giving something precious to Jesus. Everybody who follows Jesus long enough will move from just becoming a resting place for the Lord and eventually we will be invited into giving Jesus something precious. One of the questions I often have about this passage is this. Where did Mary get this perfume? Did she inherit it? Did she work for it? And if she did work for it, what did she do? And how long did she save for it? One time I worked on a farm all summer long when I was a kid to buy a pair of Air Jordans. I was like nine. You guys remember back when Jordans were like really cool. I mean, they're cool now, but they were like really cool. I was like, no, you remember how cool something could be when you're nine? I worked all summer long on a farm and I bought myself a new pair of Air Jordans. And when I got them, they were precious. <laughs> it was like, my precious, you know, it was like, yeah, I hardly even wanted to wear them. I was like, put them out. We put the lamp on them. Look at that, you know? The call here in this text is to give Jesus that which is precious, not just in a general manner, but in a particular manner. And I think the call here is in the text. And I think the order here is actually really important. First, for us, discipleship is about making our lives hospitable to Jesus, opening our hearts to him like we'd open our homes to a guest. That's the call for everybody in the room. If you've never done that, open up your heart to Jesus in the very same way that you'd open up your home to a guest. If you've never done it, do it today, you know? And then after you've done that, eventually there'll be an opportunity to offer what is close to the marrow to him. What is precious to us? What cuts close to the bone? What has been expensive for us to gain? What part of your life is treasure? Think about this. Maybe, maybe it's reputation. Maybe you come from a really good family. Maybe, maybe it's a dream. Maybe, maybe you had a plan for your life. Maybe you even had a good plan for your life. Maybe you had a God plan for your life. Maybe you've spent the last decade thinking you were living a God plan for your life. And maybe it's going to become something that you will offer Jesus because it's precious. Maybe it's your future. Maybe it's your future, or maybe, maybe it's just money. Maybe it's money. Who knows? Maybe it's money. We should slow down, even right here, and we should allow the Spirit to begin to talk to us. Starting today and for the rest of this week, we should just begin to dwell on this, this thought. What is precious to my life? And what is it that Jesus is asking for? What, we do, what would you give to the one who could raise the dead? Right? That's a reframe of the question. If Jesus raises your brother, anything's on the table, right? Right? What would you give to the one who could raise you up? What would you give to the one who could do the impossible? It's a great question. The next part of the story is a piece I love. It says that Mary pours out the perfume she wipes the feet of Jesus with her hair, and the Bible has this really beautiful line in there. It says that, that, the, that the room is filled with the aroma. I love it because it means that everybody else in the room got caught up in the experience. What one person gives becomes a gift to us all. What one person offers becomes an experience we all enter into. This summer, I took my daughter to New York City. Try to take each of my kids on a big trip. I've got four, so you have to space them out a little bit, you know? <laughs> Next, it's Seth's turn. He's been telling me about it. But this summer, it was Magnolia's turn. So I'm like, come with me. We're going to New York City for a few days. We went to New York. We did all the New York things, you know, all the things you think of that you'd want to do. You go to Central Park. You can do some shopping. You... You, get, you let your daughter go wherever she wants to go. You take her to a nice restaurant. You know. You just hold her hand out on the street. That's what you do. By the way, if you, if you want to really win your daughters over, Dad, take them to the big city, take them shopping, get them some good food, hold their hand on the street, even when they're teenagers. They will love you even more. Anyway, we were, we were walking up this part of the city in Manhattan. It's an area called Chelsea. It's a little little neighborhood, and then there's this little park. It's, it's the weirdest thing. It's called the High Line. It's an, old, it's an old above-the-ground tram rail, and they've turned it into a park. So it used to be like a railroad somehow, you know, and they made it into a park. And so there's like trees up there and benches and flowers. It's, anybody here ever been there? It's amazing, isn't it? Okay, there's something even more amazing. Right off of the High Line, they built this thing called the Little Island. Has anyone heard of that? Little island. Okay, you need to look this up. It's the wildest thing. Right out there in the river, off of the High Line, in the river, they built all of these piers, like this series of piers, and they made a two acre square park that is suspended above the river, and you there's like this little walkway that goes all the way from essentially Manhattan, all the way out to this two-acre park that sits suspended above the river with enormous trees and flowers and places to lay down and grass and lawns. And you're like, what? It it looks like Dr. Seuss, the way that it's like, the way that it's constructed. And here's what blew my mind, because Magnolia and I, we went over there to it and I was like, who did this? How did the city afford this? And I dug into it and I found out that the city didn't do it. Instead, a man named Barry Diller did it and he spent $270 million of his own money as a gift to the city. What one person gives becomes a gift to us all. You know, to maybe change the frame again, Mother Teresa gives her life in Calcutta. One life given becomes a gift to many. Even in this room, even in this room, think about worship, right? Think about worship, think about all of the things that have happened with this gathered church since it became a church. Think about all the people who have served and who have given. Think about people who have poured out their lives. Think about your pastors, think about people on staff, but then think about like volunteers who just show up, you know, and just faithfully serve over and over. They give their life and it becomes a gift for many. Even this evening, the band made some space for us, didn't they? They gave a gift, one person, One person, one person, one person. Giving their gift becomes a gift for us all. That's the call. To give something Jesus. To give him that thing that is precious. This world says, hoard that which is precious. And if you won't hoard what is precious, this world will tell you something like this. If you won't keep it for yourself, will you at least settle down a little bit? Like, don't get too hyped on Jesus. You know, you want to invite him to your house? Fine. But but don't get too hyped on Jesus. Settle down a little bit. Do do something sensible. You want to have you want to have a little religion in your life? Great. You want to have Jesus a little bit? Fine. You want to have him come to your house? That's great. But but don't get too pumped up on him. Be sensible, you know. Uh, Save save the real stuff for the poor, right? That's what Judas was saying. By the way, you got to watch out for Judas. Here's why. Because he makes a lot of sense sometimes. Like what he says makes a certain amount of sense in the text. But he didn't care about the poor. He was a thief. And Jesus knew. Here's what I would like to say to the church this afternoon. Watch out for the voices that try to redirect your gift towards something sensible. Especially, especially if it's couched in religious posturing. Those voices are everywhere. Those voices are everywhere. Here's what I would like to say. Give the gift anyway. Here's the kicker. The kicker is at the end of the story. Mary pours her oil in Jesus. She pours out the perfume. She's breaking all the social norms. Everyone in the room is freaking out. It's offensive, and the stingy wisdom of bankrupt religion is offended. The room is filled with the aroma. Everyone is submerged in the moment. One person gives it, and everyone gets the gift. But when the moment is over, everybody goes home. When the moment was over, it was over. Everybody who was in the room, they go home. They had a story. They had a story to tell. They had a really good story to tell when they go home. They had a story to tell. Everybody got to go home and everything was over and everybody had a story except for Mary and except for Jesus. Because when Mary poured the oil on Jesus, he went home anointed. And because Mary wiped her feet with, wiped his feet with her hair, she also went home anointed. Everyone experienced the aroma of the perfume, but two people went home anointed that night. I love this part of the story because here's what it means. It means that what we pour out on Jesus gets on us. If we give something precious to God, it somehow comes back to us. The very thing that we offer to the Lord that is close to the marrow, the very thing that we offer to Jesus that is close to our heart, somehow ends up on us. Jesus says this in another part of the gospels, he says, Whoever wants to keep their life has to lose it. We see this in John chapter 12 with Mary pouring it out. Here's what I would like to say, church. Make your heart a home for Jesus. Make your life hospitable to the presence of God. Arrange everything in your life and invite him. If you invite him, he will come. And then, and then, when the Lord of all creation begins to show up in your life, begin to offer him that thing which is closest to you. If you do, if you do, it will get on you. Many of us in the room have prayed, God, I would like to be more anointed. And we're waiting for God to pour something on us. God, would you make me anointed for ministry? God, would you give us power to see miracles? God, we would like to be anointed with your presence. We would like to, we would like to see this city changed. God, we would like to be anointed to see something happen for the poor and the outcast. God, we would like to be anointed and see the fatherless have a family. God, we would like to be anointed and see the orphan find a home. God, we'd like to be anointed to bring change in the political realm. God, we would like to be anointed to see your kingdom come on heaven as it is in earth. And here's what I think the Father would say. Pour what you have on Jesus, you will find all the anointing you ever prayed for. Give the gift to him. What you pour out ends up on you. What, you. what you release finds its place on your life. Amen? Amen. Here's what I'd like to do this afternoon. Uh, if we could, uh, why don't you just stand? I'm going to pray and then I'm going to turn this over to Pastor James and then we're going to baptize some people. They're going to baptize. I'm not baptizing anyone, but they're going to baptize some people. So why don't we do this? Let's just go full vineyard. Why don't we put our hands out like this? It's not magic, it's just a way of saying, God, we are open to you. It's a way of connecting our bodies to our hearts. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask that your Holy Spirit would just come upon us. And Father, we ask that this word, that it would go deep into our hearts. God, we ask that this room would be filled with people who are learning how to be hospitable to you, to rearrange everything for the presence of God. Father, we also ask that this room would be filled with people who would give you the thing closest to their heart. God, we ask for the anointing that comes from letting go of our life rather than trying to keep it. God, we ask for the anointing that comes from pouring out rather than hanging on. God, we ask for the anointing that comes from giving to God rather than withholding from God. God, we ask for the anointing that comes from being near to Jesus and letting go. Holy Spirit, I ask that starting today and for the rest of the week, that you would haunt us with this text, that it would rattle our heads and our hearts and we ask that you would cause it to become particular to us. Some, of us. some of us this week will have little things come up and you'll know exactly the thing that God is asking you to give. Pay attention to it. Follow through. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who is worth it. Amen.